message. There's, there's just something uh, I want to do, um, and I, I think is important during this time, uh, a time of grieving for uh, a family that's in this community and uh, the community, and there, there's so many things. So I, I do want to say this local body here is a, uh, a wonderful wonderful uh tool in praying they've done a fan you've done a fantastic job we continue to pray for those in need um and i believe that it is so important that we continue to pray for the cozart family and the loss of their senior uh just a few days ago uh, it is a it's a hard time uh if you went to the school on friday during the day it was very you, you, you walk in and, and you felt the sadness. You felt and you saw the students shook up with what had happened. And so I do believe how important it is for us to be there, to show support, to pray for them. If we can't talk to them, if we can't be around not just the family, but the community, the school, the students. There's so many students that are impacted by this. And so... Uh, let's be prayerful for them during this and show our support and show encouragement to them. Uh, and we, in particular, this young man was, was in band and, and contributed, participated in band, junior high and high school. And so if you've all been part of band, you know how important that is to those that are in band. Uh, and it's especially going to affect the saxophone section there in our band, and so we want to pray for them. Uh, I also want to say, take opportunity that you can to talk to as many people. You know, you're going to come across a lot of people that just seem shy and just seem like they don't want to talk. My challenge to you is always just stop them and Ask them about themselves. Let them talk, and you just listen because maybe that's all they need. And so just know your role is important in talking to them and helping them. And I do want to say that God is love, and God cares for you. He cares for this community. He cares for the school, which will bring uh, the sun in any clouded day, knowing that God loves us and he cares for us, helps us to understand that our days are better. And so we cannot live in the negative, but we need to live in the positive because God is our strength. He is our refuge. And we need to help show that to others as well because we, un we believe that. We believe that wholeheartedly, and we want to tell others about what God is. So right now, I want to take the time to pray, so if you'll bow with me. Father, we, are, we come to you with our hearts and our minds together as we are uh, in thought and in prayer of the Cozart family. We just raise uh, their, this family to you. And we pray for comfort, we pray for strength upon them, but Father, we also ask that you bring them peace during this time. This is a hard time, and, and we may not be able to understand all the things, uh, all the details that go with it, but Father, that does not matter. 
because we know that you can use us. We pray that we can be used in various ways to support this family. Father, help us to support this community, that we can do that in many various ways. Most importantly, we can tell them about the love that you have by bringing Jesus Christ into this world, that he gave himself fully, freely for us so that we can have eternal life. Father, help us to know that our strength is in you, that our hope is in you, and that our life is in you. Thank you again for Jesus, and it is his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Kenley, for your words and your prayer. We always want to be mindful and sensitive of things going on in the lives of those in our own congregation here as well as those in our community because we care about this, the people in this congregation and we care about this community and surrounding area. We care about those who join us online for worship on Sunday mornings. And uh, so it's certainly appropriate to take time to um, express our care and concern and love towards the family and friends. Our hearts definitely go out to the Cozart family, friends at school, the rest extended family, as well as those who are uh, at the school district and administer to them and care for the kids there. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. There's a lot of brokenhearted people at all times, but uh, at this time now, uh, with the loss of this young man. But it's comforting to know that the Lord is there and that the Lord cares about those who are brokenhearted. Paul said that God is the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And that means something. And, and at this, during these times, we need to pray that people will turn to God, uh, that they will seek him out if they do not know him. And if they do, that they definitely turn to him. Because as Kinley said, he's the only one uh, who can comfort us and be with us during uh, times like these. Well, we continue in our series this morning on uh, the pastoral epistles, as they're called, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And we have been doing a two-part uh, lesson looking at faithful ministers. We've looked at unfaithful teachers or false teachers, in other words. Then we looked at uh, faithful worship and then faithful elders. And uh, last week and today, we're looking at faithful ministers. And then we'll look at faithful deacons. So if you've got any good deacon jokes, please send them my way. Uh, we certainly want to uh, fire some good jokes at uh, our deacons. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, Paul has a lot to say as he writes to these two ministers. And uh, we're just going to look in 2 Timothy today about some things, additional things that he says that he writes to Timothy uh, about being a faithful minister. Read with me verses 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before uh, the ages began. 
verse 10, and which now saves, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, as we sang a moment ago. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. So Paul has suffered a great deal in his ministry. He suffered, suffered a great deal in his life because of the gospel. In first, 2 Corinthians 11, he even goes through a lot of the sufferings that he's experienced. Beatings and stonings and shipwrecked and abandonment from friends and close people, imprisonment and all kinds of terrible uh, uh, things that he's gone through for the sake of the gospel, all because he wanted to tell people about Jesus. He went without food and without clothing. He, was, he said there was exposure. In other words, I was in the heat and in the cold without proper protection. And, and he was just, uh, at every turn, he was at risk and in danger, he says in 2 Corinthians 11. He experienced a lot of suffering for the gospel. And in fact, at the moment he's writing this letter to Timothy, he's in prison for the second time in Rome. And at the moment, he doesn't know it, but this will be his last letter he ever writes, at least that we have recorded that we're aware of. This is his last letter to, and he's writing to this young minister, because very soon after writing this letter, Nero would put him to death, all because of his faith. And so he says some important things to this minister about being a faithful minister. And he says to him, don't be ashamed of me. You see what I've gone through. You know my life. You know what I've experienced. You know what I've gone through. But don't be ashamed of me and don't be ashamed of the message of the gospel. In fact, Timothy, you be ready to experience suffering as well because you're going to suffer also. Just like, maybe, maybe not exactly like the way Paul suffered, but when you proclaim the gospel, when you are a minister of the gospel, especially in those days, and we heard, uh, we heard from one of our missionaries not long ago uh, about some things that they experience where he ministers, where he serves, and how he reaches out to the folks there. And there are some places that are nothing short of absolute life and death dangerous to talk about Jesus Christ. And we support missionaries who serve in those areas, serve folks who live in those areas. But he says, don't be ashamed of me because I, just because I'm suffering for the sake of Christ. Don't, don't think, well, I don't want to be associated with that guy because he's, he's suffering because it's all for the gospel. And don't be ashamed of the testimony of God. See, Paul never forgot, never let go of his faith. No matter what he went through, what, no matter how tragic it was, no matter how difficult it was, he held on to his faith. And that's important for us. We learn lessons just as a Christian from hearing these things. Because we need to know that no matter what we go through, no matter what tragedy strikes, no matter how difficult things are, 
that we need to hold on to our faith. And guess what? We can hold on to our faith because Paul shows us that it can be done. And Paul says, no matter what the circumstances, he knew in whom he believed. Now, notice what he said there. He didn't say, I know I knew what I believed, that, that I went down the list of my beliefs. That's not what was his foundation and, and his support through difficult times. What was it? It was not in a what, but in a who. Who did he believe? In whom did he put his trust and in his faith and his complete life? No matter what he was going through, it was in a who, and that was in God. And what a wonderful testimony to us that our faith is not just in, although no matter how important they are, all the beliefs and, 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 and the Word of God and all that, but in the God of the Word, the God from whom we get our beliefs. In God Himself we can put our hope and in our faith and our trust because God, Paul knew that God was faithful and his trust was totally in Him. That's what faith is. It's putting your trust in God, not someone's word, not even a, a promise, but in God himself who backs everything he said in his word. That's where we stand. That's the faith on which we stand. Now look at verses 13 and 15 of 2 Timothy 1. Once again, Paul points this young minister to the Word of God. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So what is he telling to Timothy? If you're going to be a faithful minister, you hold on to that word of God. You, you stay with that pattern of sound words. You don't add it just because they're adding it over here. You don't subtract it just because over there they're subtracting it. You don't change it just because that's what people want and that's what will draw a crowd. He said, you, that's not the issue at all. You hold on to the sound pattern of the Word of God. You hold on to the Word, and you teach and you preach the Word of God faithfully. See, popular culture will change their beliefs at any given moment. And just as soon as someone who wants to keep up with what is the current thinking, the current belief, the current way we're supposed to do a thing and think about a thing and believe about a thing, as soon as you catch up and adjust, culture will change and now you're supposed to come over here and now you've got to believe this. And as soon as you figure that out and you're believing that, then all of a sudden, no, we're back over here, we're believing this, we're doing this. This is what we're... You can't keep, keep up with the beliefs of the world and culture and what it says you're supposed to do and be and believe. You, you can't keep up. And that's why the Bible talks about... Uh, that be, don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And, 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 and churches may go this way and that way, and this may work, and this may be the thing they try, and, this, and all of these things. But, but the question we've got to ask is, what does the Bible say? What do we read in the Word of God? And is that what we're holding on to? Because only God's words and God himself are going to sustain us through tragic times, through difficult times, through good times, and into eternity. 
So we've got to stand on God's word. Ministers have to make up their mind. Are they going to be faithful to God's word or are they going to change and shift with culture and popularity and what people want? Christians have to make up their minds. What is it you want to hear? Do you want to hear what you want to hear or are you wanting to hear what God has breathed out in his written word? Now, turn to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Look at verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, first of all, he's wanting to be strengthened in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He's encouraging him. That's his prayer, his hope for him. But he's, we're seeing again this pattern of sound words that he's emphasizing to Timothy and to Titus throughout his letters to them that he's supposed to hold on to. He said, you've heard it from me in the presence of others, and you know where I got it from. You know where I learned everything I know, and, I, and I'm a, a, an apostle of, of Jesus, and you've heard my teachings, and you've seen what I taught to other people. That's what you teach, not something else to get you some, some sizzle and buzz and headlines and followers. You teach the very words of God, and it's that simple. You stay with that, and then you do this. You teach the word of God to people who will teach the word of God to people. Does that make sense? Say so you entrust the word of God to faithful men. The, the Greek word there is anthropos, so it's the one that's typically used for speaking about just people, mankind, humankind, men, and women. In other words, the generic, a generic word there. So we don't know f for absolutely sure was he s talking about you entrust that to faithful men and women, the word of God, so that they can teach and, and, and tell people about Jesus. Well, that certainly is true, right? We wouldn't say that Paul doesn't mean that because men and women both need to be faithful and hear the word of God so that they can share the word of God with others. But some also think uh, that uh, when Paul is writing, entrust this to faithful men, that what Paul has in mind is he's entrusting that to men who will be able to replace him in the teaching and preaching, Timothy, after Timothy is gone and rejoined Paul, or uh, be future elders in the congregation there. We don't know exactly, and that certainly would be true as well. But regardless, the idea is true, the principle, you preach that word and faithful men and women will hear that word, learn that word, and they'll be able to teach others also in whatever capacity that might be, uh, depending on the role and the occasion. So what we see is that Christians need to take this seriously, don't we? Christians need to take seriously the responsibility to hear and understand, learn, comprehend, and be able to communicate the Word of God. So we can't just rely on coming to church to hear the Word and it fall on deaf ears. Maybe there's a few tidbits in there and, and maybe we have some facts, but, but are we coming to equip ourselves to be able to share the word of God with others. And every Christian has that responsibility. Certainly those do who, will, who are teaching and preaching and those who are elders and those who uh, will be future elders and ministers, absolutely, they've got 
that responsibility. And the scripture talks about an added responsibility for those who preach and teach. But it certainly is true for all Christians to be responsible and educated in the word so that they can share that word with others also. And that's the idea that we have of the gathered and scattered church. We, we gather together to, to worship God, to encourage one another, to fellowship, to build one another up, but also to learn the word of God so that when we scatter and go to our different places of work and in the community and wherever we go, we have been equipped to go and take the gospel, the message of Christ, out to our scattered places. Does that make sense? So that's, that's a, a neat concept about how the church works and certainly the way God uh, intended. Look at verses 4 through 6 of 2 Timothy 2. Paul writes, No soldier gets in, entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If the, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So Paul uses three different quick illustrations here uh, for the faithful minister, for Timothy to hear. And uh, so we see here that a faithful minister is like that soldier who was enlisted by that commander. Now those who lived there in Ephesus and heard this when it was read, they understood this because the Romans were in charge and they knew what that Roman soldier looked like. They knew the power uh, of that and the stature of that Roman soldier. They knew his training and there was, there was uh, fear and, and respect towards that Roman soldier because of what he represented, the power of that Roman military and, and Rome itself. And, and so that Roman soldier was not supposed to be uh, playing dominoes while he's on duty, uh, uh, over here chit-chatting and over here just drinking coffee and doing all this kind of thing. He was on duty and he was a soldier for Rome. And his job was to stay focused on his task as a soldier, uh, whatever task he had been assigned to do. So in the same way, Paul's saying, look, you, as, a, as a minister, he's talking to him specifically about that, you've been enlisted not by the master of Rome, but by the master of Jesus to, to do, to perform a task. You have a job to do, and you're supposed to, you're supposed to serve in that job, to work that job as a good soldier, a faithful soldier. And then he uses this example of athlete. Paul uses athletic examples multiple times. But that athlete needs to follow the rules if he's going to win, right? He needs to, follow, he needs to know the rules and compete in his game according to the rules if he wants to win. So what, is that, what are the rules that ministers or any Christian church leader need to follow? Well, the scripture is what Paul means there. That there, you need to follow that pattern of sound words. You need to follow the word of God. If you're going to be compete as an athlete, in other words, you're you're competing in this. You have you're you're an athlete performing here. That you have work to do. You have a performance here, a game, so to speak, here using these different illustrations. And you've got to follow the rules. And your rules are the word of God. 
And then finally, he talks about that farmer uh, and, and his crop. And what does he mean here? There's some different thoughts on that. But what, what it seems that Paul means is that, you know what? When you're a good soldier and when you're an athlete that follows the word and you're following the rules that God has set out and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, guess what? There's going to be a crop. And that crop is, is just the fruit that you see. There's, there's a blessing there in seeing the word of God and, and perhaps the way God has used you in different ways to bless and benefit other people's lives. Does that make sense? That, that fruit that is, 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 is bared out because of your work. So uh, this, this really is, is a way all Christians should live, right? So everything that we see Paul writing to Timothy and Titus, this is good advice and good guidance for all Christians to be faithful, to, to be ready to share his word, to, to follow his word, to uh, run the race of our faith. And then when we do that, we see the fruits of our labor in the lives of others. Now turn to chapter 3 in 2 Timothy. And let's look at verses 10 through 12. Paul says, we'll read verses 10 and 11 first. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So Paul, again, uses his own example, his own life that he knew Timothy knew firsthand. And he said, look, you've been with me. You've, you've seen my conduct. You've seen my behavior, my lifestyle. You've heard what I teach. You've seen me in action. You've seen me in, in, in good times and bad times. You've seen it all about me. And so you know how I've been faithful to God. And no matter what I've gone through, Timothy, you have seen that God has rescued me from every difficult situation, every tragedy, every suffering, every challenge. You have seen God be there with me. And so he's telling Timothy that because he knows, Timothy, you're going to face similar times. And the same is true for every Christian, right? You're going to face times when things are difficult and tough and not good. But Paul is an example to us because he's saying when we stay faithful to him, God delivers us regardless of what we go through. And that's, that's what he's talking about in Philippians 4.13. That's what he means in Philippians 4.13 if you read it in context. So in verse 12, Paul is specifically pointing out to Timothy that, look, anyone that wants to live a godly life, you included Timothy as a minister, you're going to suffer to some degree. And so every Christian is going to suffer to some degree over the course of their life. And it's not going to be to the degree, probably, that Paul suffered, Timothy suffered, Christians in that day suffered, a Christian in China or North Korea or Iraq or some other places might suffer for doing the work because they face life and death situations. And we don't. But we may face uh, loss of a job, 
We may not get hired. We may not get promoted. We may lose some people who don't want to be associated with us. We may have to be more mindful of how we talk at work with coworkers or whatever it might be. We might face a different kind, more of a social pressure, job and political pressure than, than anything else. And maybe you haven't faced that now. And maybe, maybe in Bullard, Texas, we don't face that as much. But there's places in our own country now where we're going to face that. We would face that in a more, uh, more significant way. But regardless, Paul is saying to Timothy, look, when you try to live a godly life, at some point to some degree, the world and those around you aren't going to agree with you. And you're going to be in conflict with them because you're trying to be faithful to God and his word. You're trying to be that good soldier, that faithful athlete. And it may cost you. But look what he says in verses 13 through 14. Those, while he's talking about the evil evil people, those who do evil, uh, they're going to go from bad to worse. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. See the emphasis on the word of God. He's always pointing Timothy Back to the word of God. Always. His fingers always pointing to scripture. Uh, uh, Continuing what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Paul just said, I know whom I have believed. And and that he is, and convinced that he is able to guard me. You see, so, so his faith, he's passing on to Timothy. He's trying to build him up in his faith, knowing the things that he uh, is going to go through. And so he's saying, look, those that want to do wrong, those that look like everything's good in their life but while they do everything wrong, they don't suffer consequences. It looks fun. It looks, it looks appealing. Guess what? The people that choose that lifestyle, oftentimes, sadly, we wish it were not the case and we ought to try to help them, but usually they go from bad to worse. That, that's, that, you know, that whether they want to go this, down this route of teaching false doctrine or whatever it is, or this route of lifestyle and behavior, uh, oftentimes they go from bad to worse. And he's talking there within the context of a lot of false teachers as well is their immediate context. But Paul says, if you want to be a faithful minister, you do what? You continue in what you firmly believed. In other words, those beliefs that you have, that what you learned about the word of God, about Jesus, about his church, all those things, don't give up on that. You continue in that. So what do you do when you're faced with pressure and challenges to go this way, uh, uh, give up over here, loosen up over here? You continue in the things you firmly believed. Don't give up on those core convictions and the word of God. Now, look at verse number 15. Verse number 15. I want you to notice what Paul says about scripture here. And he writes, and how from a childhood, picks up in mid-sentence in verse 15, and how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's how he calls scripture right there. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he says about scripture there? He calls them these sacred writings. They're, they're of divine origin. But what does he say scripture is able to do? To make you wise unto salvation. Why is that? Because in scripture, Jesus talked about this in John. In scripture, you learn 
of who God is and what he's done for us and his love for us and how he sent his son to die for our sins to, and he was resurrected by the power of God. Why? So that we can put our faith in him and be saved from our sins and saved from eternal condemnation and have an eternal home in heaven with God. So, so that's what scriptures do. They teach you about salvation. They teach you about the God of salvation. They teach you about what God did to, to, to gain uh, our salvation in Christ. And Paul is telling Timothy, you stay faithful to those words. You stay faithful to scripture. Why? Because when you do, people are hearing the pure sound words of God so that they may be saved. Now, there's no other teaching, there's no other philosophy, there's no other so-called truth uh, that can save you, that can make you wise unto salvation. There may be good information, there may be good advice in other places, but there is no other teaching other than the sacred writings of Scripture that can tell you how to be saved and have an eternal home in heaven. And that's why we encourage you to be in Bible classes. That's why we encourage you for our kids to be in Bible classes. That's why our teachers prepare to help them learn the sacred writings of God's Word. That's why we encourage you to be here uh, all, all week long, every time we meet. Why? Because you're devoting yourself, you're spending time in God's Word. And certainly we encourage you always to be in the Word on your own uh, in your private life. We want you to be immersed in the Word of God. That's what uh, we see emphasized here. When you learn from Scripture who God is, you grow closer to Him and His Son. Now look at verses 16 through 17. Paul says what has been called the strongest statement in the Bible about itself. I think that's amazing. Right here... Paul writes these amazing things about the Bible itself. One preacher called the scripture, the Bible, the breath of God in print. I think that's amazing. The breath of God in print. He, because as he was about to say, he breathed out the word of God. Look at verse 16 here and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproofs, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That, that Greek word for breathed out, or God breathed, is found nowhere else in any other literature until it was recorded here. In other words, Paul coined this word. And of course, being guided by the Holy Spirit to write, but this word was invented to be put right here to describe the Bible, scriptures, the word of God, that the Bible is literally breathed out by God. And I love how uh, that one preacher put it, the breath of God in print. That's what the Bible is. And that's why Paul continues to point Timothy and Titus to the Word of God. If you're going to be a faithful minister, you've got to go back to always and stay with the very breath of God in print. Now, in, in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, another way Peter describes it is knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, they didn't just make this up. Some, some men didn't just come up with this. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke 
from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that so so Peter's showing us here's how they wrote the original letters of the Bible. The Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote. And that process was God breathing out his word through those men, through their education, their experience, their background, their location, all of that, using that individual to record the very breath of God in print. I think that's a beautiful depiction of God's word. And so Paul tells Timothy that the word of God is what? Profitable. What does that mean? That means what that word there means is useful or beneficial, helpful, that it's, it's good for you and that there's use for the word of God in your life. And he's telling Timothy specifically as a minister that the word of God is, is profitable for these things, for teaching. You see that he lists these things for teaching. And what he, said, what he means about teaching is this is doctrine about what is right. Doctrine about what is right. That's what this teaching is. And so the faithful minister needs to teach the Bible, teach doctrine about what what is right. People may have different preferences about what they like to have taught. They may like going through books of the Bible, or they may like only topical ones that are just really highly practical. Some people want really deep and advanced. Some people, they just like, just give me the, 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 the more shallow stuff, practical, that I can go do something today. And guess what the preacher's faced with. My goodness, how do I do all of that? How do I do any of that? And so so he tries to do some of that in every lesson. And there's times to be over here and times to be over here. In any audience, you've got people in any location uh, of any any place along the, the, the spectrum there. But is he teaching the Word of God? Now then, reproof, what is reproof? And how is the Word of God profitable for reproof? Reproof is to point out what is not right. Reproof is to point out what is not right. It means to put it to the test, to prove, to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, that ain't right. And, and, and here, teach on something so that people understand what the Word of God is saying and they can compare their life to it. And they can understand that something in their life ain't right with God. And they need to do something about it. And then correction is teaching about how to get right. So don't just point out the wrongs. That doesn't help anybody. Don't just say blast everybody and blow everybody up every week. But you show them how can you get right with God? How can, what does the word of God say to do in this situation? And then this idea of training in righteousness is, is teaching on how to stay right. Because we all need training. Paul talked about the, the athlete and, and the soldier, all of whom would have gone through training. Any of you that have ever tried to farm or grow anything at all, as Matt talked about, it takes some training, some practice. What does that mean? Practice, repetition, doing it over and over again. And you need some patience too, don't you? And so you, you're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to, you're going to mess up sometimes. But we all need that training in righteousness. What is righteousness? Right living. And when you read the, uh, the letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, that's what we see Paul talking about. Right teaching and right living. That's what he's interested in is right teaching and right living. We've got to teach the word so that we can live the word. That's what he's saying. And so the word of God is profitable to help us train to be righteous in our lives, right living and right teaching. And so the word of God tells us 
how God saved us through Christ, how he saves us, how he offers salvation to those who will turn to him. The word of God tells us about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for our sake so that we can turn to him and have our sins forgiven and have an eternal home in heaven. And that's what we want for every one of you. That's what we want for our children. And that's, what, that's what, why we gather together to help train in righteousness our children in Bible class and ourselves in Bible class and in worship so that we can worship God, who, the God who saves us and train ourselves to live right and to teach right and understand right. And that's what we want for you and that's what we want for our community. We want you and we want this community to know the Savior of our souls and to know what to do when they hear that good news and their hearts are pricked like they were in Acts chapter 2. And they said, what should we do? What do we do with this good news? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is unto you and all who are far off. In other words, for every generation, for anybody. So whosoever will come invitation. That's our goal and our wish and our prayer for all of you. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God and your walk with Christ. But we want you to know that this church is here for you. We want to help you this morning. Maybe you need prayers. Maybe you need encouragement. Maybe you're ready to start studying the Word of God. Maybe you need to visit with an elder uh, or a minister off by yourself and not come forward. We want you to know you reach out some way. Maybe it's tomorrow and you need to call or, or text or something because you need to talk with somebody. You need to pray. Maybe you're ready to put on baptism, Christ and baptism this morning. Be baptized into Christ, raised to walk a new life. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.